When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Daily Record Rangers podcast. I'm Johnny McFarlane here with Scott McDermott and a very special guest in former Rangers left-back Stevie Smith. We're going to have a look back over Stevie's career from the very beginning right the way through to his second spell at Ibrox. Tell us your experience coming through the youth system. I know that you're obviously, you've got your own academy now, so I'd imagine this is something that's very close to your heart, youth development. How was your youth development? Um, it was a lot different to, to the, what happens now um, in terms of school football and stuff at my or what I can remember he being that age was always just playing with my mates it was always it was always fun for me playing with the local boys club playing with my school team and things like that whereas going on to what, we're at, what we've got now is there's a lot of schools don't even have a school team and things like that so um, that was my first kind of memories of playing was, was always playing with my mates and always playing out in the streets and stuff which doesn't happen now either so um, but that was was my are the most things that I can remember about being at, at such a young age. I know that you signed pro in two thousand and two, but when did you first come into the Rangers system? I was there since I was I think I was eight or nine. Um, I was training two or three times a week at uh, on Astro at Ibrook. Sometimes we would go down to Linwood and train as well. So I'd always been in and around for a, for a very a very young age. And um, but at that point there was never we only used to play games maybe once or twice a month, and the games would always be. Ibrox on a Saturday on the Astro before a game and then you used to get to go in and watch the game after so they were always the at that point for us the, the big games because they were one-offs so and maybe only getting four or five a year um, so they were the ones that at that age you really look forward to. Who were the key figures? Was Bomber Brown one of the influences on you? Initially it was John Chalmers, Billy Duncanson and James Duncanson they were the three guys that were involved with the youths at that point um, and then when I signed full-time it was on to Bomber and I had Tommy McLean, John McGregor Tom Forsyth, people like that. Um, so I had a, a really good upbringing, like you, you could say, but really good people. Um, and I've got a lot to thank them for, all of them. These are all guys you would imagine and you would associate with mental strength yeah. as Rangers. Yeah. Guys who understand what the expectations of the fans were and winning every week. And sometimes when I hear ex-pros talking about these guys and stories about coming through the youth system... You think that's one aspect that's maybe been slightly lost in the last few years in terms of giving you that kind of real understanding of, of what it means in terms of the demands they put on you and the stress that put you under to be able to cope with the Ibrox environment. Is that fair? It's definitely fair. I'd, I can only speak it from a personal point of view. There was guys that I played at that time that wouldn't have enjoyed that environment because it was tough. Um, it was a tough environment to be involved in. But... Again, I loved it. I loved guys like John Brown and Tom McLean and John McGregor. They were hard on you. They told you the truth. Um, but it's something that, that I appreciated at the time. It's, it's what you want to hear as a player. A lot of players say nowadays, oh, I just want a manager that tells me the truth. But when they tell them the truth, they don't like it. <laughs> that's that's what you hear a lot in changes. Why do they not tell us the truth? Because if they were honest with you, you wouldn't like it. But at that time, it was a great um, way to come up for me under great people. Um, Ian Durant came in and was involved for a period as well with the youth system. So 
Um, I absolutely loved it, but again, I go back to there'll be players that I played with that wouldn't have enjoyed being in that environment at all. Um, but one thing that I always done was at that age, and a lot of people say this as well, they worked hard. I genuinely did. I worked harder than everybody else. So for these guys, if you did work that hard, there was never ever any complaints, whether you were technically weren't good enough. As long as you gave them everything, that's all they were ever interested in. See, see even at a very young age, Stevie, was, did winning mean everything? Was that drilled into you? I mean, I hear a lot of, I see a lot of things now with youth teams and academies and you know, there's games that you know, even Rangers, other teams will play and it's all about performance and development and all that. How much did winning mean to you even back then? I think when I go back to before I went into the full-time system, I think when I was playing my boys club team, I played with, it was called Aberdeen Boys Club, but it was, it was no, it wasn't an association with Aberdeen, that was just the name. Mm. It was a local club, but we were good, so we were always winning. Um, so it was never ever put on us to win. Mm. I think we were just, we had a lot of good players and we were probably better than everybody else. So we did win, it was never ever put, oh, you have to win this game at boys club age. When I got into the Rangers system full time, as I say, because it was different then, we didn't play games at 13, 14, 15, so we never had that. Uh, yeah. opportunity if you like for people to say you have to win this game at that age it was when I was 16 and 17 you're involved in things like the youth cup and the yeah. league and stuff it, it it was about winning at that age for us that was the the whole thing even and it was never I don't think guys like John Brown had to put it on to us it was always in them that's the kind of guys these are they always want to win but for us as players it was it was in us as well as a group I think it was part and parcel of being at that football club at that time that you had to win even if you were 16 or 17, you always had to win. But you say, you're saying that it was in news. Is that probably because at kind of 13, 14, they've seen the qualities in news? So when news then come together at 16, 17, he's of all go it because I just seen think, that in you. I just think it was a different era at that time. Mm. Different people, it was a different way of coaching. It was a different way of... I think a lot of these guys that were coaching at that time, if they were still involved in the game now, they would struggle. Yeah. It's completely changed. Um and again, I go back to the way players react to this type of coaching. There would be a lot of players that I played with would have hated the style of coaching because it was a hard environment. Do you think we Rangers need that specifically because of the demands of the fans, the demands of the media, the, 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 the circus that sometimes goes around the club, that the youth players need to be sort of baptism of fire type thing so that when they get to the first team that they've got that strength of character to get through it. Is that something very specific that needs to happen at Rangers? I don't think... I think every individual is different. I think there's individuals that you can push right to their limits and they can handle it, but I think that's up to the coach to know every individual player because at such a young age, there's still a lot of development to happen and every player reacts different to a, a, a different type of coaching. Some players might know like one coach, but they'll perform better for another coach who coaches them in a different way. I think you've got to take everything into consideration before you specifically say, right, this is what we're going to do to this specific player you've got to treat every player separately because at that age there's still a lot of growing there's development there's there's so many things you need to take into consideration before you can put those demands on people I, I remember speaking to Alan Archibald when he was, at, when he was Partick Thistle manager <coughs> and he was talking about this young players nowadays and at, at Thistle back in the day he worked under John Lambie and John McVeigh two of the hardest yep. taskmasters ever right proper old school but Alan Archibald was saying he says, see the like, young players now, he says, if I, <coughs> if I spoke to them or treated them the way they did to me, mm-hmm. no, it just wouldn't work. And he said, the re- and part of the reason it wouldn't work is, if I started shouting and bawling at a young player now, 
there's every chance he would just stand up and say, you know what, don't really need yeah. this, I'm off. Just go out, walk away from football. I think that's the difference. I don't think that would have happened back in your day, would There was an incident that happened in Kilmarnock, I'll not say the names of the players are in, but under-20s game. I was involved at the I was trying to get my fitness back because I played in a lot of under-20s games towards the end of the season. Um, and it was actually a game I wasn't playing in, but I was, in, I, I, I was there watching, I think. And the manager hadn't even got back into the changing room and one of the young players was coming off the pitch who'd been a sub and been put on and he asked the manager in the tunnel on the way back to the changing room, why did you not put, why did you have me on the bench? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how, how does that happen? How does that come about where a young player can ask a manager and mm-hmm. they're not even back in the changing room and he's questioning the manager in the tunnel in front of the opposition players because they've been there, opposition managers and it's just like, I'm, I go back to when I was that age, that would never have happened. Never have happened. That's incredible. It's, and it, again, it's, it, there's a lot of positive things happen, are, are happening with youth systems and yeah. stuff just now, which I totally agree with. And it's, But there is still elements of what I came through and the coaches that I had that I, could, I think could still play a big part. You talked about your hard work coming through. How big an element is hard work versus talent for you? What's more important in terms I, of becoming a professional? It's everything. And, and again, it's the... There's so many people who tell you, the, 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 you'll you'll hear it for every coach. Hard work beats talent. You got all the quotes and the phrases now. Hard work beats talent. If talent doesn't work hard, but it's true. And it's the one or two that let that sink in, and then they kick on for there and they do the hard work because players that I'll take at Rangers, they've got the ability. They wouldn't be there if they didn't have the ability. But they have to have that hard work because if you don't, you'll never make it. And I think when you see the Rangers manager just now. His whole emphasis on his team is hard work. It's everything. Again, they've got the ability to go and beat other teams with that, but with the element of the way teams press and, and how much fitness is involved, hard work, hard work is everything for a young player. And who were the kids that really struck you as the most talented in the group when you were coming through? My group, I was fought, again, I was fortunate to be in um, an under-18 team at that time as it was with Chris Burke and Charlie Adam and, and people like that. Um, and it was... Chris Burke was the one that was miles ahead of everybody else. He was, again, he's still playing, just now come out and doing really well, but at that age he was a different type of player. He was he was a winger, and we talk about Ryan Kent, we, we, our instructions for, for Bomber at the time were literally get the ball and give him it, just give him it. He doesn't have to defend, he used to say to Burke, don't come back over the halfway line. He's like, just get him on the ball and, and produce in the final third. We literally used to give him the ball and he would beat two or three players, put in a cross, we would score or he would run in and score himself. He'd done it in the Youth Cup final, I think we played here at, at Hamilton, it was my, I was only 16 at the time, so it was my first year, and we won the Youth Cup, and he was, for that season, it was his last year at Youth Football, and he was, honestly, he was outstanding. He was, um, I think at that point, he was in demand, like all the big teams in England were after him and stuff, so he was the one in that group that was, was miles ahead of everybody else. Was that a case with uh, Burke that maybe injury was what stymied his career more than anything else in terms of maybe not quite reaching that top, top level as a Scotland player, perhaps, that he would have... You could have. Maybe a Scotland player, but I think out with that, I think he's had a great career. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a fantastic. Even with the playing at Nottingham Forest and Birmingham, he's he's even with the. You always look at. I always look at the reaction of the fans towards when he leaves the football club, and he's like every single fan that when he left was full of praise from because he's again as he's got older, he's had to adapt his game and change it because he maybe lost that bit of pace, but he was intelligent. Um, so I think he had actually had a, a really really good career and it's no surprise because again he was he was outstanding at that age and he obviously had the period at Cardiff as well where he was he was one of their top performers in the championship as well 
And he he got his debut at Rangers very early, didn't he? Big threw him in and he scored, coming on as a sub. We actually kind of broke through the same. Well, he broke through earlier than me, but my first pre-season trip, he was my roommate. He was the two years was I think it might have been his first pre-season trip as well. I think we were in Austria, so we were sharing the room together and stuff like that. So he was the one that I kind of came through. Even though he made his first team debut earlier than me, he was always the one for training with the first team. It'd always be Burke and then me, and so he was the one that I kind of had that pathway through the first team. With you being a left back, Arthur Newman was at the club at the time when you were coming through. That must have been an education because he was one of the best left backs in the world when he signed for Rangers. He was outstanding as a guy as well. He was, um, and again, when, I, I, when you're a player at the, in, in the moment, you don't actually think about these things, but John Gregg used to bring him in to the indoor hall with me at Murray Park, or sorry, the Hummel Training Centre. And... Uh, <laughs> And he used to a couple of minutes and say a couple of things. And even at that time, I never even really took on. I was just kind of thinking, right, okay. And sometimes I probably didn't understand. But see, now when I look back, I wish I'd asked him more questions because he's the type of guy that would have gave you the answers and he would have took time with you. But I was just that took on. He was actually coming to speak to me with John Gregg. I'm like, this is a wee bit surreal, really. Um, but again, he was a great guy and a, a top, top, top player. When you um, looked at the talent that was coming into the team at that time, was that... Um daunting for a young player to try and break through into? There was a period where I thought about leaving. I had my I had my mindset saying I was going to leave. Um, I think I was 18 and I was going through that period where I was playing with the reserves every week and I'd maybe train with the first team once or twice a week but I was getting to that age and I was maybe a bit naive at the time. I, I thought I was maybe better than what I was and I was, I was, I seen other players my age maybe breaking into first teams because they didn't have the squad sizes that Rangers had. So I had an opportunity, I think it was to go to Dundee at the time. And I remember speaking to, to Bomber about it and I went to speak to him and he's like, just give it one more year because my contract was coming to an end and they had offered me another deal and I'd actually told him I wasn't signing. Um, and Bomber said, give it one more year, see how it goes, just give it, just don't leave just now. And I actually gave it the other year and I think within that first two or three months I'd made my debut and kind of kicked on. So it was probably the best decision I ever made. You made your debut as a sub against Hearts. What yep. was your nerves like um, before going on? <laughs> it was uh, it was actually it started on the bench because I think Mo Ross was actually playing left back. And That's right. I've, I've not really got a good memory, right? so I, I struggle to actually have to Google things sometimes. To the, <laughs> but then it, 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 I, I remember the things that actually did happen and it was like after 10, 15 minutes, I think Alan McLeish turned around to Jan Bouters and he was saying, I'm taking him off. I'm taking him off. I'm putting Stevie Smith on and I can hear this. So I'm sitting, I think I was actually sitting next to Berkey and I'm sitting there going, oh no. <laughs> but I, I think they, I, I can't remember how the score went, but I think we were going to beat the time equalised and I think we actually went in maybe, I were drawn at half time. So I was thinking, right, we've scored, he's going to maybe calm down and everything's all right, he'll not put me on. And Paolo Vinoli was actually at the club at the time, who was another left back, but he was in the stand and he came down to the side of the pitch and shouted me over at half time. And I think he'd been in the changing room and heard that I was maybe going on. So he spoke to him and he's like, just when you go on again, I'm oblivious to what's going on. I'm thinking, oh no, I'm going on. So that's, he could have been that's saying, "That's a great wee touch for an experience." Yeah. But yeah, he, he could have been saying anything to me at that point, and I'm no listening. I'm just thinking, <laughs> "Oh no, I'm going on." That was, um, but again, we won the game, um, and it was a great atmosphere. And as I say, it was, it was, it was a great day for me and my family, obviously, because um, all I've, I've been there since I was eight or nine years old. So my whole thing was play for Rangers first team that was my whole ambition and, and to get to do that was, was a massive thing What was what was Jan Vouters like? I mean Moros spoke recently about him and I, yeah. no, he was eulogising about him to, to change his change his career change his outlook in football no. I think Mose was probably involved a lot more with him than I was because mm. he was there he was more experienced than me at that time mm -hmm. um, but I think I used to 
I used to think that I didn't like him and that sound because he was always on at me, mm. always constantly. So I used to go and train the first team and I'd be like, even doing small things like boxes, he used to be on me all the time. And now when you look back, he was trying to make me better. He was probably one of the only coaches that was actually saying you, your body position and why you stand in there and why you always stand in that position in this box, move here. Just wee things like that. At the time, I'm always thinking, oh, Jan's here, he's in my box, he's going to be on me the full time. But it was for a reason. And I can remember when he was, he was leaving, we went for lunch one day, not just me, it was a full squad, and he, he actually said to me, do you know why I always, always go on you? He's like, because I believe in you and I think you can get better. But he never told me that before. Mm. So it was always every day I'm thinking, oh, no. And I always used to think he'd make a point of coming into my box just to get on at me. <laughs> but it wasn't, again, at that point I'm thinking, oh, here he comes, I don't like him, I can't be bothered with him today. As a young player thinking you're maybe a wee bit better than what you are, but now when you look back, he was actually trying to make me better. Yeah, I, Alex McLeish was obviously the manager when you got your, your debut and he promoted you into the team quite quickly. He started, I think, uh, you got 20 appearances in 2005 under McLeish, including a, an unbelievable game against Villarreal. Yeah. Um, was Alex McLeish really important in, in, in bringing you through? And giving me my chance, yeah. As I say, the, the manager that gives you your debut, you'll always be thankful to them for that. Um and at that point, he had some players that he could have played instead of me, but he chose to go down that route of giving me my chance. And um, I think at that point, I did take the chance. I actually think that was between him, the last period of his managerial career, and then obviously Paul Gwen coming That's probably the best spell that I had as a player um, at Rangers. And it was maybe over 40, 50 games. It wasn't a lot of games, but in terms of performances, that was probably the best that I played. So he did give me that chance, and he was brave enough to put me in. Um, at a time where he could have probably played a more experienced player than me. What are your memories of that game at Ibrox against Villarreal? It was an incredible game, incredible atmosphere. It was, but again, it, I always go back to being so naive at that. I was so young, I thought that was normal. <laughs> and I thought, this is going to happen all the time, this is going to happen every year, and, it, and it's not. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, for, unfortunately, for Scottish clubs and, and Scottish players. It's not. Uh, and every, every season thing, it's, it's once-in-a-lifetime. Um, so now when you look back... I can see how big it was, but at the time, again, I was just oblivious to everything that was happening. You're just, you're just so caught up in, in being a player. I don't really think I was thinking about oh, it's a massive Champions League game against top players and top teams. It was, it was just as if that for me should have been the normality at that time, which it quite clearly was never going did, to be. Did you feel comfortable in that environment then, in that company? You know, yanking that team at Villarreal had. I mean, Raquel May was absolutely I unbelievable was that night. Yeah. That's the, one yeah. of the best performances I've ever seen in a European game against Rangers. I think in terms of being comfortable in the environment, by that point I was. But my first pre-season trip, I can remember going and you had like the Ronald De Boer stuff was still there and Avaladze and people like that. And I can remember feeling so far out my depth. It was incredible. Um, even simple things like you're doing passing in the warm-up and if I was passing it to the board, I would be passing it. Five years. He, he I'm let, sure he would have loved that. But he would let you know, and right. he would he would he would be speaking in Dutch as if to say, "What is this guy? Pretty much say, why is this guy here?" Which was again, I felt so uncomfortable. And it was hard at the time. I can remember saying, going back to the room with Bucky, said, "This is terrible. I don't know why. Why am I here? This is." But again, I was 16, 17. Mm. You know I mean, I was a young boy, um, and again, you could I could understand his frustration. He's a top top player, and he's got guys like me passing the ball five. He's trying to warm up, and he's like probably giving it 50% and I'm putting everything into the full training session so it was in that situation I felt really uncomfortable but obviously as time progresses you get more comfortable in your environment And Could you tell De Boer was a top top player did he have that bubble around him that was that arrogance of being an elite level player He definitely had an arrogance that's and, and not, not in a, 
I think people sometimes take that as a negative. I think it was a, a positive. These guys are good. And it's something that I think that Scottish players could have a lot more of because there is some really good players, but they don't have that arrogance to, to let everybody know. You know, go out and prove that you're a good player and show you're a good player. But he used to, even though he walked in the building, you knew, you knew he was a top player. And that might sound daft, but there was not even, there were so many of them at that point. They were, they were all top, top players. Yeah, he's Dutch as well, and I think even like your your Dutch bricklayer thinks he's brilliant. So, <laughs> I was going to ask just, I mean, see at that time, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in terms of the supporters' view of you, I think you know, they immediately took to you, uh, especially around about the time of that Villarreal game, you were playing playing really well. But if memory serves me right, the only thing that would always be kind of thrown at you was as he go to height yeah. as a left back, or is he going to get done at the back post? Yeah. Or do you remember? Feeling that on you, and how how did you how did you cope at with that it? point? And that, do you know when I felt it the most was when Walter was the manager mm. because he was always big on the space of the size he's back yep. for. No, no, he never ever said that, but that was always the thing that, and it was it's something that you, I, I couldn't develop it as long as if he was saying to me, "You're poor, your crossing's poor, or your defending's yep. poor." Um, so I couldn't work on it. Can it I was my height, and that was that was it. <laughs> um, so that was probably the time that I noticed the height thing the most because that was he was so big on defending and, mm-hmm. and defenders being big and strong and stuff like that and it's something that I was never going to be so um, as I start was the time that I probably noticed that more than, than anything else I always thought when I first broke into the team going forward wise people always used to question, question you defensively yeah. but I think when you look at it now in Scottish football the, at that point for me I never get tested defensively mm. as a full back at Rangers my, my whole thing was going forward that was the, the whole part of the game um, you used to find yourself playing at left back but you'd always be playing against teams used to put a, a centre midfield player at right midfield or a right back at right midfield mm. because they were so worried about what Rangers were going to do yeah. offensively rather than saying I'm going to he might struggle defensively I'm going to put a winger against him with pace which I hated yeah. um, but at that point Rangers were so strong that the majority of the game was always played in the opposition's half The, the team were struggling though when you came through weren't they I mean yeah. it was the, that last season under McLeish where at the start of the season, he brought in a lot of what looked like top players, captains at different clubs. You had Ian Murray, captain of Hibs. Pierre Fanfan was the captain of PSG, which you would never <laughs> see signing for Rangers now. Um, you had Hem Danny, who was the captain of Marseille. And a lot of these players didn't actually really work out yeah. in the end, the ones that he brought in. Did that affect you, or were you just so focused on your own game at that point that, that um, you were enjoying playing in the first team and just enjoying life as a professional footballer? At that point in your, your first season, I don't think... I was taking too much notice of how poor the team actually were. I think I was more focused on myself, which is probably a selfish way to look at it, but I just broke into the team and I wasn't interested in what... I was concentrating on myself. Um, the team were poor. Obviously, you realise in league positions and stuff, but I think the Villarreal thing was a big distraction for the whole... That that took away some of the negativity because this was such a big game. So if, if you didn't have the Villarreal game, I think the reaction towards the team and the squad would be a whole lot worse than what it actually was. Um but I say that was a, a big moment, a big game, and that kind of took everybody's thought process away from this team's actually quite poor. And Villarreal were so good. I mean, they got to the semi-final and very unlucky not to get to the final that season. And, and Rangers took them so close in that second game. I take it you were obviously there. I actually got food poisoning. I was sick that me and Ian Murray were both struggling for the game. I obviously played the first leg, and I think yeah. the, the two of us were... We get put in our own rooms and stuff to try, and, but I missed the game through... I was actually ill, but I was in, I was in the stadium that night. Of the game they gave basically gave me every chance to be fit for the game, um, but I ended up missing the game. I remember watching it, and I think Rangers missed a couple of chances. Chris Boyd at right yeah, at the end, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was never at that point of view. When you, you, 
now when you look back at their teams and that, if I had to look at their team sheet, then I'd be like, wow, what a team. But at that point, again, I was naive to and, and oblivious to, oh, you could be playing against Raquel May or Forlan or Senna was playing. I, I actually think he played on the right-hand side that night, so yeah. I was basically up against them. And it's like, at that point, I couldn't have cared less who he was or what his name was or who he was going to play for. He's a Spanish international, all that kind of stuff. I was not It never interested me. So given that the team wasn't doing well, Alex McLeish left his job. And in came Paul Le Guin. Now, it's hard for uh, maybe young listeners to, to realise quite how big a name Paul Le Guin was yep. at the time he came in. Nobody could believe that, that David Murray had actually been able to pull this off because he'd taken Leon to three titles in a row. He was the hottest coach yeah. in Europe. And I always remember reading the paper, you know, it was announced. And what was Le Guin doing to prepare for coming to Rangers? Well, he was doing a 50-mile run in the Sahara Desert. What was the, what was their reaction to the players when they saw that, and what they, what were you expecting with Le Guin coming in? Was there excitement? Was there trepidation? I was excited, um, but I was a wee bit worried as well. I'm not going to lie, I was nervous because again, I just broke into the team, and at that point, I knew that Rangers had finances, to, or they could have went and got again a more experienced player. They could have brought somebody from France that he knew and he trusted over me. Um, but he done an interview. I think it was one he's obviously he started before we went back in pre-season. So he actually done an interview that I watched. And he mentioned the young players. I think he mentioned myself, Chris Burke, Charlie Adam. So he mentioned us, and that made me feel that took my nerves away a little bit because he'd spoke about how well we'd done, and he was looking forward to. I can't remember his exact, exact specific words, but that kind of settled me down a little bit because I was thinking at least he knows who I'm. That was my, and he's obviously watched some of the games, and I thought I'd done well. So it was, I was already getting me in a positive mindset that he knew who I was, and he was going to give me another chance, and it was up to me to then go and take that chance. And what did you make? What was your first impressions when he came to the door? Different. It was different again, but I think it was it was a tough, tough period. I mean, there were so many things that happened. Um, but again, from my point of view, I was playing, so I was happy. That's the one thing about football. See, as long as you're playing and you're in that starting eleven, that anything can be happening, but your focus is on being in that starting eleven and playing every week. That was my... There was obviously things happening out with, with experienced players, and there was so much going on. Um, in terms of it being different... One of the, the stories that's often told, I mean, at the time it was a huge deal, was the incident with Phil Bardsley. And not even the incident itself, but just the fact that Le Guin didn't like contact in yeah. terms of tackles and training. was That was true. There wasn't a lot of contact in training. Um, and I can actually remember the Phil Bardsley one as well. And that was one of the... And Paul Le Guin's somebody that I enjoyed working under, again, because I was so young and I was learning something different. And again, I think he was probably the right manager at the wrong time. I think there was a lot of what he'd done at that point is more in football now than what yeah. it was back then. Um, and But that was one of the things, because I was somebody at that point who, I like training, I like training being physical, and it was, again, I'd been brought up with John Brown, and you train how you play, you go and tackle, you win. It was That's very much how I was. And that was one of the things that I did think was strange, or I didn't, I've had to say, I didn't like was that element, because what Phil Bardsley had done at that time wasn't bad for me it wasn't bad it was a tackle and I was like it's a bit strange but again I think he was the right manager at the wrong time so I think if he was now involved at a club a lot of what he does a lot of other people are doing now what about the players they brought in I mean <clears throat> Yankee the guys you're talking about that you're playing beside you know, like Barry Ferguson's and people like that when he, when he brought in the ones that spring to mind Svensson Sionko Sibo did you look at them right away and think I don't know if they're going to be going to be Rangers Rangers standard. When they look back now, they, they obviously weren't good enough. Mm. That was the main thing. Um, but at that time, I thought he was trying to build something different. He was mm. trying to go younger, and 
again, me being a young player, I'm thinking this is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you start playing and at that club, the results are everything. And you're not getting the results, then you start thinking they're not great, they're mm. not good enough to, to be here. And um, I do think the way they handled experienced players wasn't right as well. There was there's a way that you handle people, especially guys that have done so much for the football club, and they're, they're such a big part of what you do in the changing room. Um, but they did have guys like Dado Puzzle who were trying to be the go-between and make everything all right. So there was there was things that he'd done that, for me as a young player, I could see where he was going. Now looking back and what he was trying to do. But there was also things that he could have done. He could have done a whole lot better in so terms of the experienced players and certain things. Sounds like a clash of cultures, essentially. You know, it, there's a guy who's coming from a completely different footballing culture who wants to completely change everything, and understandably, what would happen in any workplace, the, the, the workers go, "Well, wait a minute, what, what are you asking us to do? We're not used to yeah. this." And again, when you've got players in the changing room that are so experienced and they've won a lot of things and. They've also got their own ideas in, in football and whether it's right or wrong that they're working under a manager. They, they, for me, they should have tried to have adapted as well and tried for a longer period to adapt to what he was trying to do. But it was just a complete clash of, of personalities and, and cultures and, and everything at that time. Um, but for it, it, for younger players, it was a lot easier um, because we're young and we've not got the experiences of your Barry Ferguson's and people like that. Um, so it was it was a difficult time for the club in, in the sense that it was a massive clash of cultures. You've got this manager who's been so successful at his previous club, and when he first came in, it was like a revelation. Rangers are lucky to have him, and within such a short space of time, it's just basically collapsed. That, that's the problem, and ultimately, he needed time. Let, let's be honest about it. Stevie's right. If you see a lot of managers getting appointed now, and they come in with this philosophy and a strategy, and they get time to implement it, and you, know, you think that you know, maybe on a bigger scale, but Jurgen Klopp, for instance, you no, know, it's taking Klopp you know, three or four years to get Liverpool where, where he wants something. Yeah. The problem is at Rangers, you just don't get that yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, immediately, just from memory, immediately, like when was under pressure, you know, a few bad results early on, there was that clash where it was Bardsley, or the, uh, the Bardsley incident, or Barry Ferguson, Chris Boyd, loads of wee things coming up. He was just never going to get that time. But I actually agree with Stephen when you look back at it, I think there probably was a lot of good things like when was doing. I think given time, he would have brought in more young players. He would have no, he'd adopted a, a style of play that might have lasted Rangers for for decades. No, he was trying to build something. But when Rangers are going for titles, and no, I think they'd finished third in the league the, the, the season before. He was never going to get that that time. That it was always going to be a problem. <coughs> he'd also been a coach at, at Leon. He wasn't a manager. And then he was made Rangers manager. And we know that that's a very different role to what he would have done with a director of football over his head at Leon, who would have been providing him with all the scouting and all the players. He comes in at Rangers, not only has he got this culture clash, but he's got about 50 other things in his inbox that he's not used to dealing with. But I think you could sit the majority of that squad down that was there at that time and they would probably all give you a different experience or a different thought process in what was happening. I could only give you mine, which was personal, which I was, again, I was quite enjoying it, but I was playing. If I wasn't playing, then I would probably give you a different story. That that that's the be all and end all. As a player, you want to be playing, and I was fortunate enough that he was still giving me that chance, and he still believed in me. He was trying to make me better, and I was playing, so I was quite happy in that environment. Just last question on Le Guin. Um What were his sessions like, and did you learn from them? You're you're a coach now. They were different. They were they were completely different. Again, we would we would even pre-season was tough, but it was a different kind of pre-season. Um, he would come in and. Sometimes the day after a game, you would go a, a seven or eight k run, 
and he would be at the run and he would be at the front and he would be going at a right good pace <laughs> so to try and keep up with that pace was <laughs> ridiculous it was it was it was and us as players we were used to having a game the day before and you maybe go a 20 minute cool down jog some players are walking some players are not even taking part they're in the gym and stuff like that he, he was completely trying to change the whole and again he's I think his whole emphasis was on fitness because he spoke about the marathons and all that kind of stuff he did um, and that again it's a culture shock to people when you come in and you've just played a game you, you mentally think I'm knackered and then he's got you running for 8k at his pace he's a machine and he's an absolute machine you're thinking what is going on here so you get the usual moans and again <laughs> the boys that are, on the, are thinking they're maybe at the picture are going to moan a lot more than the boys that are playing and it was it was just a whole Stephen you're not going to name names but Boydie <laughs> but, but but you could sit again. You could sit down every player in the squad, and they'll tell you a completely different opinion. I've yeah. I've I'll tell, I've argued with Boyd about him before, and mm-hmm. in terms of what he he completely disagreed with everything that he'd done. Whereas I was like, I quite like this, and it's again, it's about opinions. And and at that moment where you were at the football club, and I was playing, I was young, and I seen it as an opportunity to go and continue playing. I, I think even like when looking back, I mean, he's, as a coach, I think it was no, he was kind of. No stuck in his ways, that's the wrong impression, but he had a clear way of, of doing things. But I think even he now, looking back, would think I should have handled players differently. He, he, he was very stubborn. Uh, it was, it was, he came in and it was literally his way. There was no go-between. Yeah. And that's when I talk about his, his dealings with the experienced players. There was there was certain things that he'd done, and again, he would have done it to the experienced players and they weren't right. And I wasn't, I wasn't in the meetings. I don't know exactly what happened or what was said or why he'd done, he'd done what he'd done. But... He could have went about it in a whole uh, different way and he could have managed the changing room uh, a whole lot better. You need to be a better manager than that. Even yeah. if there's guys that you think won't adhere to what you're trying to do, you don't alienate them immediately. Yeah. And he just had too many too many fallouts. No Bardsley, Rickson, Ferguson, Boyd, I mean big characters in that that dressing room at the time. But even I can remember he was leaving Alan McGregor out for Latitsi and people yeah. like that. So they're you're talking about your Ferguson's, Boyd's, McGregor's they're your biggest characters and you're changing yeah. them really you can't treat them all I understand incidents happen you have to deal with them as a manager but for his, or for when I look at it they were our top players so you have to manage them in a different way sometimes and I think he was that stubborn that it was his way or you're out the door basically well if it didn't quite work for Paul Le Guin it certainly worked and quickly for the next manager Walter Smith comes in with Ali McCoyst and the first game is a 5-0 win against Dundee United so it's, it's an instant turnaround what did Walter do to change things so quickly, change the mood in the camp. He was, he was just probably himself. He had that instant respect to. But a lot of players obviously worked with him at Scotland and stuff. I was involved. It was a Scotland B game, and it was Alan McCoy's that was taking. So I, I kind of known them a little bit, but no to the extent of some of the other players. Um, but I think I can remember his first meeting, and it was he literally laid down the law in his first meeting. And I think a lot of people were going about the the way maybe the hairdryer treatment as they call it which in, in my time there or under him in that, that, that spell that he came in he never actually had to let go at any point there's maybe once or twice where he, he raised his voice but there was nothing ever he just had that presence that everybody knew where they stood and this is the standard you have to meet and if you don't meet them you won't be here that was the, that was his whole thing People talk about the Walter Smith steer <laughs> did you ever get on the, the, the wrong end of that? I did and it's really uncomfortable <laughs> and it's it's true I mean, some people might know outside the football he didn't think that's a total nonsense what are people talking but it is actually a thing I and mean, when he does stare at you it makes you feel so uncomfortable you've not got a clue what he's thinking or why he's thinking it um, but under that period I was never ever 
a regular player or a regular starter, but I would never ever go and chap his door and say, why am I not playing? Never. It's not something that I've done in my career, actually, at all. I've never chapped any manager's door because I don't think it's right. I've always been in the belief that I'll train as hard as I can, and if that doesn't get me in your team, then that's up to you. That's no... I'm not going to go and chap your door and say, this left-back's no play doing this. Why am I no playing that? Kind of, I was never ever like that. Imagine the young Kelly boy asking well, Walter, why, that, was, he, why was I sub? Uh, and I, I could always think about, imagine his reaction if he seen me standing chap his door, because there was better players than me no playing. Um, so what what gave me the right to go and then chap his door and ask the question of him who'd done so much, and he's obviously got his reasons as to why I'm no playing. All I could do or all I could focus on was working as hard as I could to try and get in. Just, just before that, you did have a, a terrible hernia operation yep. and an injury that took, kept you out for more than a year yep. um, looking back do you feel that that stymied and it hampered your career that that injury was it a succession of injuries because you did have a lot of, of, of injury problems it's been a it's an ongoing thing for, for basically since I was 16 I think at the end of my first year full time at Rangers I had bad groin problems and I'd played with it for the last six months um, and it was a Dutch doctor they had at the time and I can remember going to the meeting when my mum, they actually took my mum and dad in the meeting and he basically just said, have a year off. And I was like, have a year off? What? What? I can't have a year off. Are you mad? Like, what's going on? And even my dad was like, you can't have a year off. <laughs> so anyway, he was asked, do you play golf? Do you just go and play? And obviously I'd started, I'd signed a three-year, don't, I signed a three-year contract. It wasn't like, the money wasn't was massive or anything. So it was like, I can't sit in the house for a year. This is, so after about two weeks, I was like phoning bombers saying, I need to come back in. This is just driving me insane. Um, so for that early age, that was just basically a continuation right through until I stopped playing in the summer. Um, but in terms of it hampering me... Like, it, I mean, it, like your mobility it, and... it definitely did hamper me, I'm not going to say it never. But I think if somebody said to me at 16, 17, 18, I would play until I was 32, mm-hmm. at that point I would have bitten your hand off for it because at that point I was serious doubts of whether I could have played again. Um, so to get to 32 and even though I've not played a lot of games in that time, which I've not, if you look at the, the length of career I've had since 16 to 32, the amount of games that I should have played is incredible compared to what I actually have played. Um, but I see that as a, I'm fortunate enough to have played as many games as I have because I had so many injury problems. What's it like for a player? I mean, you, talk about, <coughs> you talked about mental strength earlier on. I mean, I think you missed, I think it was a spell you were at for like 15 months, yep. no playing. I mean, what's that like it, mentally? Try, <sighs> try to deal with that, try to... Try to cope it. The biggest problem I had was not a lot of people knew what it was. Mm. That was my... I was going to one specialist who was saying, this is what it is, and then I was going to another specialist, and he's saying, that's not even a thing. This is what it is. And I'm like, right, okay. And I had so many operations and injections. And, and to be fair, Rangers stood by me through everything. Mm. Um, there could have came points for them where they were like, right, just completely disregard him because this is... It was getting... No, I wouldn't say a joke, but again, when you're going to four or five different specialists and they're saying this and they're disagreeing with each other, it became a point where probably as a medical staff, they could have said, right, they did take me down every avenue. They took me the best people. Um, And again, I'm thankful for that. Were you worried you might not get back at that time? (sighs) I I probably wasn't as worried as people in my family, my mum and dad and people Mm. like that. They were probably more worried than me because, again, once you make your debut, that's the... You then start to get the stuff in the press and you start to get the people saying to your mum and Asda off here, they might not play again and things like that. So mm-hmm. that probably for them, whereas me, I was probably more focused on, I have to get back for this. How do I get back? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the club supported me through all that. And that was when, when Walter and, and Ali McCoy came into the club. Um, 
they were good as well because Alan McCoy's actually sat me down and he's like what, what is it going to take to get you fit again and this was a period where they probably didn't need me mm. but they were that good with me that they, they were trying everything that they could and they spoke to the medical staff and said look take him to the best people so at that point I went to Germany to get an operation and come, when I came back for that that was probably I trained for a, a period of time that I had never done previous to that because mm. um, I was always six months training breakdown two months training go for an injection break down get another injection I think I was one season I was up to 12, 13, 14 injections um, and there came a point where the, the specialist was saying that's the maximum we can have you're not allowed to have anymore so it was just things like that always going on throughout my career that were again pr- did hamper me but I always seen it as my first thought was how do I get back what's the first game that I can be involved in that was always my thought process until recently at Commandant where it was getting my motivation was gone so it was again at the beginning it was it was easier to come back when you're younger but at the end it was like pff, three months rehab this is going to be tough yeah I, obviously um you were heavily you were still at the club during the whole period of going to manchester yep. um you've already touched on the fact that Walter wanted a taller left back yep. and you had a very very good left back in front of you there in sasa papach i know he was adapted but he took to the role like a duct of water and 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 was a, a, a integral part of that Walter yeah. Smith set up and it was even, it's a strange thing when you're injured for so long you, I've seen people say it before you actually become a better player in other people's eyes like when I was injured I was watching Sasa playing and I'm like this guy's good because he actually made his debut when I was playing left back at Celtic Park and I think he played centre half he played well at the so it was I knew he was a good player but I didn't realise how good he actually was until I took a step back and watched him when I was injured but you would still get people coming up to you and saying oh I think you should play you in the home games because you're more attacking and play mm-hmm. him in the way. You used to go all that kind of nonsense, which was, for me, the guy took his place, took the shot and deserved to keep it for the period that he did. Um, but again, I probably became a better player to Rangers fans in their eyes because I was out for so long and they forget what you were good at and what you were bad at, basically. Oh, this guy's some player, he does X, Y and Z going forward where Sasa's more a defensive-minded left back. So you used to go all that kind of stuff. But... He was a great player for Rangers at that time. He was, again, the, the question mark about him was what does he do in the final third defensively? But he actually got a lot better at that under Walter as well. He, he was contributing with goals and stuff. I can remember him scoring at St. Johnson and things like that. So he had a massive part to play at that period as well. He was a sort of quiet man around the club, wasn't yeah, he? But he was a lovely guy, really, really nice guy. Um, but again, quiet, went about his own business. And he was probably one as well when Walter came in. There was probably a few question marks about because he was a Le Guin signing and things like that. But it was um, he done really well, and he was bigger than me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, what was the night in Florence like? Because you were on the pitch at the yeah. end, weren't you? You were seen kind of running on. Run, I was, gro- groin was away I, again. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was always in the squad, but always a guy left out. So I think I was involved in every game, but always a spare man. Right. So I was that kind of guy that I don't know if I was a mascot or whatever. I think <laughs> I think Burke took that man for a where he was Walter's mascot, and but I just used to go. I I, I think one thing that that these managers had and that uh, that probably evolved my second spell there as well they knew what they were getting I was never ever going to complain about no playing but one thing that you could guarantee when you played me I would be I'd give you everything that I had quality wise probably not the level of the guy's place that I took but I would give you everything and the Monday to the Friday I'd probably be one of the hardest workers at training that was what they would get out of me and what I would guarantee one of the most notable games of the Walter Smith era, uh, and you came on as a late sub, was the uh, 1-0 win over St Mirren in the League Cup final after yep. two <laughs> Rangers players were sent off. So you're going onto the pitch, you've got nine men, 
there's three or four minutes left to go. It's a St Mirren onslaught. What does Walter say to you as you're getting ready? I can't actually remember if he said anything. Do you know that? Even I can remember because, again, there was a long period where I hadn't played under Walter when he came in and I was injured and all that kind of stuff. And even the, the day that I did come back into the team, I think it was Mother at home, he never pulled me and said, listen, you're going in. He, he walked past me and I was actually collecting balls behind the goal after training. And he, for some reason, he caught my eye or, or, or he caught my eye and he just looked at me you're playing tomorrow. And I went, right, okay. And that's after months and months and months of no playing. It wasn't a big chat. This is what I'm looking for. This He just said, you're playing tomorrow. And then it was actually Alan McCoy that spoke to me and said, look, you deserve your chance. You've been working hard for a period of time. You're fit now and all that kind of stuff. So it was never ever really that tactical until the match day would do his match talk and he would say, this is what I'm looking for. But before the game, it was, you're playing tomorrow and that's it. Even going on that cup final, I was probably more thinking, please the ball don't come near me at this point because <laughs> not, I'm not ready to come on I don't think I'd warmed up for about 20 minutes um, I was literally standing he's like literally turned around to the bench whoever got right you're going on just to waste a bit of time and I'm actually thinking just don't come near me because we're 1-0 up as a cup final you have to win it obviously backs to the wall nah, it backs to the wall and I'm thinking just miss me if the ball comes near me hopefully it goes out for a throw-in or a corner or whatever um, so uh, there, was, there wasn't much said but it was just from my point of view I'm just thinking please don't come near me with that ball so you left in the in the summer of uh, 2010, uh, headed down to Norwich and uh, were at a number of clubs, including away with uh, Chris Boyd in, in Portland. You and Boydie seem to be together throughout your career at several yeah. several clubs. Love to obviously go into that, but that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> we'll have you here for three hours at this rate. So I'll talk to you about when you came back to the club. I think there was a lot of publicity about uh, Kevin Kyle when he talked about signing on uh, at Rangers in the third division and how... He went in and he would have signed for 500 quid and uh, he was offered like five times what he was expecting. Was that your experience going back to the club? Was no. it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish it was, but it wasn't. Um, what had actually happened to me is I had obviously been at Portland and their season runs different. So I'd came back around Christmas time and Rangers TV asked me to go and do an interview. So I went in and Alan McCoy was there and he's like, what's happening, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. I said, do you want to come in, if you're run about, come in and train. Because they they're good, all ex-players have always come in and been allowed to train um, and stuff like that. So I went in and trained. But that was never my intention to sign there. I was always, my thought, first thought was I'm going back to America because we'd spoke about having a contract there and all that kind of stuff. But the way the contracts run, they don't finish to the end of December. So in my mind, I always thought I was going back. Um, but then it never panned out that way and Rangers obviously had the transfer embargo at the time and so I was at that point when they realised I wasn't going to go back Alan McCoy just spoke to him about signing but obviously it would have to be at the end of the season because they had the transfer embargo um, so I basically I think it was four or five months without playing or without having a contract anywhere always waiting for that phone call thinking it could potentially be Rangers and then it did come um, which I was which I was thankful for Obviously, the circumstances weren't ideal, but it was for me. It was by far the best move that I was going to get at that point in my career. Were you surprised? I mean, you must have. But when you left Rangers, maybe not when you left, because you might think I might might come back one day. But when you got to that stage in your career, you couldn't have envisaged going back playing I, with Rangers, could you? I don't even think when I left, I would have thought no. I would come back. I, if I'm being brutally honest, I don't think I was one of the players that was good enough to come mm. back when you get your talk about guys like Barry Ferguson they're top top players who in the back of their minds it was obviously yeah. all, maybe when I get older I can go back but it was never in mind because I was never in my opinion at that top level so it was again my thought process I'm never going to play there again that was mine and then when you get that chance then it's a, it's a little bit different with the circumstances and 
and everything that was involved but it was tough as well because there was a lot of criticism involved with it um, which I totally understand it was the signings that were made again when you look back weren't they good enough but I do believe at that time they should have been good enough to at least get back to the Premier League no competing but just to get back there I think there was a good enough squad there and the players underperformed and let the manager down in terms of getting out the divisions that they needed to get out to get back to that Premier League Was, was there any part of you I know, I know it might have been difficult at the time but looking at the signings they were making the money they were spending they went for obviously experienced guys guys that had been there done it was there any part of you thinking like almost kind of behind the scenes this might not be the best way there should be a bit more long termism here there should be young players coming through no, were you thinking that? One hundred percent. There should have been. That was the. But again, when you look at it, you had guys like Lewis McLeod who'd yeah. come in and, and people like that. And but I, in my opinion, at the time was, even <coughs> when I went back and I was I was training for a period of time, the young players weren't good enough. Mm. That was the big thing for me. And some of them were getting the chance to play for Rangers without earning it. Yeah. And again, out of, out of the majority of them, Lewis McLeod's only one that sticks out to yeah. me. Barry was, Mackay was good as well. Barry Mackay was decent, but again. At that period in his career, I would I would tell him his face. I thought his attitude was wrong, um, and he didn't work hard enough. And it's all right for me saying that now. And in, in ten years' time, he'll probably look back and think the same thing. Yeah. Um, but he was a different type of player. But they were the two. But there was other guys getting getting chances and opportunities that were nowhere near yeah. the level required to play for Rangers. So it's it's a balance. He's saying the right philosophy and the right policy should have been right. We'll put all the youth players in. But in reality, none of them were good enough, or, or, or very few of them were good enough. As a manager, I felt watching his team, you didn't really get a sense that um, it was a really... Like, if you watch a Jurgen Klopp side, you yeah. look at it and you go, I can see exactly what the manager's doing on the training ground. How did you feel in, in the actual training and all that that, that McCoy did? I know it's he's a great guy and everything yeah. like that, but in terms of as a manager, how did that feel? Playing I, under? I've got a lot of time for him and a lot of respect for him. Um, Face time as being an assistant manager and as a manager, um, again, it's hard for me to to sit and criticise anybody as, as a manager or a coach. I hate doing it, um, but there'll be mistakes that he made, and he'll know he'll have made because he's an intelligent guy. Everybody sees the the laughing and the joking. He is an intelligent man, um, so he'll know that he did make mistakes, which every manager and every player does. Um, but one thing I did realise at the end of his time there, there was a lot more involved which he done really well he disguised for us as a squad of players mm. and then it, it all started unfolding the night at Queen of the South where people were saying he'd resigned and the next minute he walked into the training centre and we were it was just a, it all started to become a bit bizarre whereas before that he'd shielded everybody for that so that was a big part of his job and that maybe people will say you're making excuses for him because I like him but that's maybe one of the reasons as to why on the pitch or on the training pitch there was a lot more involved at the club at that time and again I, I know people say you're sticking up for him and stuff like that but it was a difficult difficult job at that p- period of time I think how, how bizarre was it or how bizarre did it get can you remember any instances it, that you just thought what's, what's going on here again that was the, the first time the Queen of the South game <coughs> where yep. he's resigned given his notice uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff and then he walks in and Sky Sports News is on and it's just awkward you're like saying up there the yellow strips and breaking news Alan McCoy's resigned or giving his notice as Rangers manager then he's walking up and getting your, your pre-match meal and he's there and it's like this is just bizarre but before that honestly there was for players point of view there was nothing all the stuff going on in the press and all that kind of stuff I don't again it's personal I didn't read the papers I didn't really want involved in any of what was going on because some of the players would obviously take an interest in it and they would know 
all the stuff that was going off the pitch, I didn't take any interest in it, if I'm being honest. And he done well to kind of try and shield what he could away for the group of players at the time. Um, that, obviously, in that season, Rangers were going up against a very good Hearts side, but you've already touched on yeah. the fact you felt that yeah. the players there were good enough. You look at um, the Boyd and Miller partnership that was brought back in yeah. now, They've gone on and played yeah. very well since leaving the clubs, but but together it didn't work the way it had previously. What, what, what went on there? I don't even look at just day two. I look at guys like Nicky Law, who for the year before at Motherwell in the league above was was a top player in that league. Guys like Ian Black, who'd done really well at Hearts and things like that. So you had a group of players that, again, underperformed. I think I, I do think that the pressure of everything that was going on took its toll on the squad, which it shouldn't have. I do feel that we let the manager down. And again, I know for Rangers' point of view, the, the players that we're talking about probably aren't the Rangers' quality. But at that time, for me, they were more than good enough to get Rangers out of the divisions that they were in, or they should have been. How, how difficult was it for you as a player, not having been there the first time, we were talking about playing against Villarreal in the last 16 in the Champions League, to suddenly be playing for Rangers you know, at home to Montrose or, or Peterhead or something? I mean, how, was that, was that I, strange or does it actually bring... Did you feel it actually brought a kind of added pressure because well, people are expecting yeah. you to turn up? The, the expectations were still the same. It's just steamroll. It's, it's tough. It was mm. tough. Even when I, when I look at it, it's funny when you've obviously got social media now. I wasn't on it for a while, but the team at Cowden Beef the other night and people are obviously putting up the last time we played Cowden Beef. Right. And then you've got the, the picture of the signings and I was in the picture yeah. and stuff. And it's like, I I knew at that time, these the, when we stood up for that picture, this is a seven Rangers signings. This isn't the Rangers quality. But again, I go back to when they signed at that time, I was looking at the players thinking, all right, we might not be Rangers quality, but we're good enough to go to this division. Let's just go to the division and that's it. And then yep. when they get in there, they might kick on in the 70s they'll get put out of the door. But I knew at that time, we weren't at the, the level of quality required for the football club, but for where they were at that moment, they should have been. So to tie this up, Stephen, again, we could keep you here all day. Um, I want to take you to that last game of the season against uh, Motherwell. Um, big Belial Moshney goes a bit mad at the end. What, take us inside the dressing room after that <sighs> game. It was chaos. And again, Billy was one of these guys that was the nicest guy in the world, but mm. at any moment he could just snap. And again, I was, the game was done. Like we were, I was in the bench that day. I think I'd played, I was raging actually, because I'd played the Queen of South game. I think I'd scored and then I'd missed the next Queen of South game and all that kind of stuff. So I was raging that I wasn't playing. Um, but after it was just, just chaos and, um, obviously the situation at Hampshire Stuart McCall's come in and you'd all this stuff with the five players for Newcastle come in they have to all that kind of there was just for that point on for the Queen of South point on it was just a total nonsense um, but the changing room after the game was just it was How did you calm Big Belial down? Because he, he properly lost it in a yeah. way that I've never seen a player lose it in Scottish football But he, he sat so calm actually initially when he walked in the changing room he sat there so obviously the stuff's all happened in the pitch and he's come in and the manager was speaking he was sitting so calm and then as soon as the manager finished speaking he stood up again and went again and he was trying to go to the changing room and I think there was like three players on his back and he was a big guy strong <laughs> and I was just sitting there I was like, I'm going nowhere near him absolutely no way but did he didn't leave that day where he stripped that still on I think he, he, got on the bus he completely lost the plot and then he's obviously got on the bus and He's seen Lee Irwin, who obviously I know well now because he was at Kilmarnock, <laughs> coming out of fire exit about a mile away. I don't even know how he's seen him. And the next thing, he's off the bus again, and I'm just sitting thinking... He ran off the bus and after Lee Irwin? <laughs> and did Lee Irwin run away? <laughs> no, I don't know. I think there was stewards and stuff <laughs> at that point. But for then on, and I, was just, I just sat in the bus thinking, this is it became embarrassing, if I'm being honest. It was an embarrassing... Because, again, the result was pathetic, and then you've got all this stuff going on in the background, and I was it was just embarrassing. And what, what, what was the... Sorry, I was just going... What, what was the... 
the Newcastle. What were the Newcastle boys like? Because we'd so so much was made of that at the time. However, no, when you look at it now, no, I thought Vukic was a good player. That's a decent player for Rangers, and he's still playing at a, a decent standard. Shane Ferguson playing every week in the Championship, and Babu has been incredible. And, and I mean, he's talking about worth no so many millions. I mean, did you look at them and think these boys are decent? They should actually be doing as a doing as a turn here, or the whole thoughts? thing just became bizarre. I think I'd was a period where Kenny McDowell was in charge, and we just lost the Celtic, and I'd played. I saw it, I didn't even play. I was there, but we could beat two nothing. I don't even think we were in Celtic's mm. box at the time. That's when you notice the difference in quality yeah. the Rangers players, and the five of them came in, and I think I'd basically been told, "Look, you're not going to feature again." That's the five are coming in, and you're and that. And I've got a good relationship with Kenny as well. Yeah. I've got a lot of time for him. And that was a tough situation for him to be involved in as well. I yeah. can see emotionally he was he was gone. Because he'd been told. Yeah. And yeah. It, and he was just emotionally a wreck, to be honest. Mm. And when I had the conversation with him saying I wasn't going to be involved again, it was tough because again, I've got respect for him and, and I would like to think he's got respect for me because of how I train and how I work. And it was just a tough, tough place to be. But then Stuart McCall comes in, I did play again. So mm. it was but the, in terms of the players and the quality they had, they were Kevin and Babu was probably the one out of the five of them that I'd have said was the poorest. And then <laughs> you look now and it's like... But he did... He, for that, before that, he had injury problems. So I don't think yeah. he played a lot. Yeah. So he was just getting his fitness and finding his feet. But out of the five of them, he was the worst yeah. out of the five. I, I, rem- I remember interviewing Stuart McCall uh, one day at the training ground. And we were asking him about the Newcastle boys and he almost kind of rolled his eyes. And I just... I don't know why it sticks in my head. I just, but I just remember somebody asking about Babu. And he kind of flippantly said, he said, I think he's out there jogging around the park or something. It was like, he couldn't have been any more dismissive for this and guy. And you just thought, this guy must be absolutely hopeless. <laughs> but that's that was honestly the opinion at that time. So it just shows you when we were speaking about Penna earlier, it, sometimes technically he, was horrend- he looked horrendous. Yeah. And then I watched him playing the Champions League and he's outstanding. Stephen, before you go, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to tell the fans who might be wondering what you're up to now uh, about what you're doing. I've... Currently get my own academy, which I run in the Eastern Bartonshire area. Um, I do a bit of work with the schools, or one of the schools in that area as well, take the school football team. So I'm basically just trying to do as much coaching as possible. Um, and I'm getting right back to the beginning and I'm taking kids for basically five years of age. So um, it's a learning process for me and I'm, I'm learning and I'm making mistakes as I go, but I'm, I'm enjoying every minute of it. How are you, first of all, how are you finding retirement? Because you're, no, you're still young to be retired. Yeah. And also, is the coaching... Do you see yourself as a coach, manager in the future, or is it purely just working with kids that, that appeals? I'm still learning. I would say I don't know the end game yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with the in terms of retirement, it's just, I've probably been prepared for it better than anybody else, yeah. just in terms of how my commander career finished with the period that I had injured. So I've always had periods where I wasn't playing, so I'm probably more mentally prepared than yeah. other players. Um, in terms of being a coach or a manager, if you asked me maybe four years ago, I would have said no. But now... I've been on the courses and I'm on my license just now, so it's something that I'm I'm learning as I go. Again, I don't know what the end result's going to be, but every day I'm just kind of learning and, and take it for there. And uh, if anyone wants to follow Stephen on Twitter, it's at Stephen Smith Academy. Um, you can also get uh, the website, stephensmithacademy.com. And if you want to email him with anything at all, just even any questions, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> it's uh, info at stephensmithacademy.com. Stephen, thank you very much for coming on. Really enjoyed that. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, guys, uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Record Rangers podcast. Until then, thanks for listening.
Use your mind, use your mind